What am I going to do, quit? That's not an option. You got to keep on keeping on. Life's a garden, dig it. You make it work for you. You never give up, man. That's my philosophy. Welcome to Legendary Mindset. I'm your host, Jake P. Richardson. Today, we have a guest by the name of Kyle Smithwick. And um, if you don't know who Kyle Smithwick is, uh, he judges a bunch of national shows, and, and there in Miles, Texas is where he lives. Uh, they raise you know, some of the best final and final cross lambs in the state of Texas, and, and Kyle has an incredible reputation uh, among Texas for just being a, a really a really good stockman. His, his podcast is, is very good. It's, it goes into a lot of detail you know, about raising those finals. I imagine a lot of our listeners you know, maybe don't raise any final sheep and, or maybe haven't even really seen them um, if you don't live in Texas, but I, I think it'll be good. Uh, there's a lot of good info in here, and, and, it, and it goes in a lot of different directions to, uh, to where a lot of them you know, the other podcasts don't really, you know, kind of touch on those kind of things, but I'm excited for you guys to hear it. Uh, don't forget to follow Legendary Mindset Pod on Instagram and Legendary Mindset with Jake P on Facebook for more content every week. Here's Kyle Smithwick. This is Legendary Mindset with Jake P. 34 years. You guys always been in the sheep business? Started in 1983 when I was in the third grade. Third grade, and your dad raised sheep? Well, we always had a few commercial sheep, but that's when we started getting in the club lamb deal. It was mm-hmm. about 1983. You always lived in Miles, or did you grow up somewhere else? I uh, grew up in San Angelo, and I uh, went to high school in Wall, which is a little town right outside of San Angelo. Uh, Dawson was born, We Pat Jackson and I used to have a, uh, we called it a fallborn cell. Mm-hmm. Well, it's had in April. It's usually the first Saturday in April. And, uh, you know, when Dawson was born, we, we knew that Dawson was, was uh, going to have Down syndrome. The, the doctors told us that. And we, we knew there would probably be a few complications when he was born. Mm-hmm. So, uh, anyways, we always had a bunch of friends come in from New Mexico. And they'd stay with sport lamb, so we didn't we didn't change anything. You know, we didn't we didn't have a due date or expected C-section or anything like that. Just when the good Lord said it was time, we went to the hospital and had children. Yeah. But uh, anyways, uh, just like every year, we're having a good time at the barn, looking through sheep, having a few cocktails, talking about where we're going to go eat, mm-hmm. this, that, and the other. And. Uh, you know, we did all that stuff, and Julie's like, you know, I don't think I'm going to go tonight. I don't feel real well. Y'all just, y'all just go have fun. So we went to eat and came back. Anyways, everything's good. We come back the next morning, or got up the next morning to feed animals, get ready to go to the cell out of Pat's. And uh, Julie just looked at me and says, it's time. I was like, it's time for what? She says, it's time for Dawson to be born. I was like, ah, lamb cell, what, what, what? You know, I'm, I'm confused. I was like, baby lambs. Can like, you hold like, on? Hey, uh, we got a lamb cell today. So, anyways, I just told her. I said, "Okay, let's go." And I guess I'm a control freak. I like to be there. I like to do things a certain way, and I, I like to be on top of it. You know, and I just had a. Sorry, I just had a a peace come over me. And uh, I said, you know what? I said, I've got some of my best friends in this world. I've got people that'll help me at the drop of a hat. And I said, 
I'm just going to turn this over to them. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I had friends offer to help. And uh, I just said, okay. You know, usually I'm like, no, that's okay. I said, yeah, y'all come help. And they were happy to do it. It's the best thing about this stock show stuff. Anything you need, anytime, the drop of a hat, they will be there for you. So they picked up the slack. I went with my wife to the hospital. I had a precious baby boy born that morning. And, uh, you know, he did have a few complications with his heart. And I'm so glad that I was there for my wife. And knowing that these guys had my back at the cell and never missed a beat. Picked the slack up. One of the better cells we've ever had. Really? The good Lord was in control. That's awesome. With a lot of good friends. How'd Dawson do after that? A few heart surgeries? Or? Yeah, Dawson had some heart surgeries. We were in NICU for, for a, about a week there. And then we got home and we knew he was going to have to have surgery. He had a, he had a hole in his heart. When he was about two months old, we, we took him to San Antonio and they had that procedure done there. It's pretty scary. Scary, yeah, it was. I mean, anytime you have a child sitting there and and uh, they have to go into surgery, you just uh, you just humble yourself and, and just pray. Yeah. So what, who were some of those buddies that helped you that day? Oh, gosh. Kevin Newsom was there. Uh, my friend Cody Burson from New Mexico was there. Kerry yeah. Christ from New Mexico. Uh, Kerry and Cody, they used to come every year. We look forward to that every year, them coming out. And they were actually staying with us. Mm -hmm. And then Kevin came in and, heck, he took the lambs and went to the cell. And, and uh, they just got it done. Was Chad Perkins around back then? Oh, Chad's always been around. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah Chad, Chad, Chad's there for comic relief. Oh, you know? yeah. <laughs> he does. He takes beds at Jamie's cells and is always giving me help. Yeah. He's, he has a son, Cade. Right? Yes. Him and Dawson, same age? Yeah, Cage, uh, Cage just a couple of months older. Really? Yeah. So were you guys best friends when, you know, when they were born? We were, we were friends. Uh, we became really good friends, you know, after both our childs had Down syndrome. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cade went through some of the same uh, procedures after we had the procedure done with Dawson. Mm -hmm. And my wife, actually, she goes, I've, we've been there and done this. She said, I'm going to drive to Zephyr every day and I'm going to keep your child while y'all can go work. Mm -hmm. Because when you have heart surgery and you have to hold the child a certain way, you have to pick them up a certain way, or you can have complications there. So Julie had been there and done that. So she drove to Zephyr every day and took care of Kate. Wow. And we really became close after that. Oh, I'm sure. He's... Chad's big in, in Zephyr, I mean, community-wise. I mean, oh, he's he's a great guy. Loves everybody. Do you guys ever do any dealings with sheep together? Oh yeah, we used to uh, used to more back in the day than we we have now. Mm -hmm. But uh, I've used some of Chad's bucks and they work great. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, it's we and I used to let Chad use some of my white bucks. We did a little little trading back and forth, a little horse trade. How'd you guys meet? Shoot, I don't know, Jake. There's long, no telling. Long, long some, time Some ago. stock show somewhere, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. So let's go back to Dawson. I mean, what's it? Dawson's a happy kid. Like, Dawson's a hugger. I mean, Dawson's, Dawson's fun. What's it? Dawson's. What's it like being Dawson's dad? He just puts everything in perspective. I mean, it's, uh, you know, we're all passionate about sheep and we love what we're doing and we like everything that's involved with it. Mm -hmm. 
Dawson puts perspective on life. What, you know, it just values what truly matters, you know. At the end of the day, it really doesn't matter who had a banner here or there, but uh, it matters about being loved and loving. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's just a lot of our life. Yeah. He just makes every day good. Yeah. Dawson doesn't have bad days. Really? I mean, he might be a little cranky here and there just to get attention, but he, he every day is a good day for Dawson. Oh, yeah. I remember one time, I think it was two years ago, me and Chance came back from Reno and we'd been in the truck for like a day and a half. Stinky, had not showered, went and worked cheap, and we came here and pictured. And I was, and we set up a bunch of babies, and I was smelling horrible just because we'd been traveling and stuff. And I knew I smelled bad, and Dawson and Julie roll up. And Dawson gets out of the pickup and hugs Todd and hugs Chance and hugs you. <laughs> and he comes up to me, and I'm like, oh, I already reach out to shake his hand because I'm sweaty. I, I'm gross. Right. I don't want to h- hug anybody. And Dawson comes up to me, and, you're, and y'all are like, no, you know, Dawson's a hugger. He's, he doesn't shake hands. <laughs> Dawson comes up, grabs me out of the waist, and goes, oh, gross, and just runs off. And I'm like, I told you. Yeah, he's never had trouble with honesty. No. He light- lightens the mood quite a bit, Yeah, it seems like. He shows, too. Yeah, Dawson, this, actually, Dawson's uh, first year was this last year. How'd that go? It went great. You know, it's, uh, we had a lamb from Chance. Yeah. And, uh, old Bucky, Bucky was his name. He's a black-faced sheep. And, uh, Dawson loved Bucky. Mm-hmm. Anyways, he showed him at Angelo, and, and it was great. Reagan, the neat experience is Reagan got to help him in the ring. Yeah. And I think it meant more to Reagan than it did actually for Dawson. Oh, yeah. Why but you- Dawson's a TV guy. Anytime yeah. he sees cameras or movies or, or videos, he's all about that. Dawson was doing really good. He saw himself on the big screen showing. Oh, no. And we saw himself on the big screen. He started waving at himself, and <laughs> we had a little uh, attention problem after that. <laughs> So how how do you name that one, Bucky? Is there a story or? Ah, Julie was working with him one day and he just called him Bucky. Oh yeah. So. Curry's pretty good showman. Yeah, he's Curry's coming along, and uh, Curry Curry can turn it on and turn it off mm-hmm. when he wants to. He can be the most intense guy out there. Oh yeah, I think when you tell Curry, "Hey, your sister's better than you at that," I think that's when Curry's. Yeah, like, that fuels the fire a little bit. Screw this. Yeah. <laughs> He's a pretty competitive kid. Yeah, he's competitive. All our kids are competitive. Well, my wife and I couldn't play board games the first year we were married because we'd end up sleeping in separate rooms. Are you serious? Oh, we're both competitive. <laughs> so what's Julie do? Uh, Julie, Julie does, uh, you know, she does everything. She's kind of the glue that keeps everybody together. Mm-hmm. But uh, she she writes children's books. Really? Uh, she helps me. Mm-hmm. She's the best mom in the world. Uh, she drops a but anything she's doing to help coach a basketball team mm-hmm. uh, she just she just does whatever she needs to do to keep our family going mm-hmm. so like for your kids in the future do you do you kind of hope they kind of stay in this sheep and goat deal or you know, if- you know I, they can do what they I, I want them to do what they're passionate about mm-hmm. I ended up doing what I was passionate about and uh you know, if you have passion and drive about what you're doing, it doesn't matter. You're going to be successful at it. Yeah, for sure. They, I mean, that seems like they love it. They do. Um, you know, I, I don't know what they're going to end up doing. Mm-hmm. Uh, like when I was in high school, I didn't know what I was going to be end up doing. But, yeah. you know, I'm going to be tired. I'm going to be old. I'm gonna, if they want to do it, I'm going to say, there it is. There you go. Here it is. That's what my dad did to me. Really? He, he turned it over after he told me, I hope I like beans and cornbread. <laughs> you're going to be pro for Yeah. Is that what you say to Curry if he 
rolled in here and said, I want to do this. But I'll say, here's a pair of gloves, buddy. <laughs> get to it. So you've had, how many employees do you have over here helping you? Because that's a lot of use. Just just one. Just one? Yeah. Had a lot of employees over the years, or did, did you start off doing it by yourself? Uh, you know, I've had a lot of kids come through during the years and, uh, you know, help me through high school and stuff. For instance, Chance Neff back in the day. Chance worked for me through high school and a little bit in college. And it was it was really fun getting to work with Chance. He grew up here in the same county that I live in and showed, sowed some of our sheep. And then he, they were raising some sheep at the time. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, I think back on some of the kids that's worked for me and, and Chance, is, he, was, he was a lot of fun to be around. You got any funny stories? About Chance? Yeah, let's hear him. How much time do we have here, Jake? We have as much time <laughs> as you want. We can make a second episode of this. Oh, where do I start and stop? First of all, Chance, uh, Chance was a good football player. Mm-hmm. He's a pretty good athlete, you know. But Chance, he thinks he can play basketball. And if you look at Chance, you're like, eh, I don't know about this. <laughs> He's a little vertically challenged, but... What we would do before our lamb sale, we'd, we'd clean it out, we'd get the barn swept and blown out and clean, looking the part, but had a goal in the barn because I, I like to play basketball. My wife played college basketball, so we're kind of a basketball fan. You guys fan. are not vertically challenged. You're tall people. But Chance will tell everybody that he beat me in basketball one time, and uh, I don't know where he got that from, but I don't think he ever beat me in basketball. He's telling stories. He's telling stories. He was, Chance was what? Chance was spraying mesquite in a pasture and uh, he was on the four-wheeler and we had we fill our tank up with diesel and, and remedy to kill kill mesquites mm-hmm. anyways I'd send him over there to spray that pasture and he was spraying on some mesquites and my dad was plowing in a nearby field and he saw Chance over there on a four-wheeler and they saw Chance jump off the four-wheeler and he saw Chance running through the pasture, and then he saw clothes starting to be thrown off. <laughs> and he was shoved down to his underwear. Freaking out. My dad gets off the tractor, runs over there, and picks him up, calls me on the way over here to the barn. He says, hey. He says, your boy's running around out in the pasture naked. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> he said, I, he said, I'll just let him explain when he gets there. So he comes out of the barn with my dad. Rolls down the window. I said, what, what is going on here? And Chance was real excited. I mean, he just was excited. He's like, I got, I got attacked by killer bees. I was like, what? Killer bees? He's like, yeah, they swarmed me. They're all over me, and I couldn't get away from them fast enough. So, anyways, our curiosity got the best of us. So we loaded back up my dad's pickup, and we went over there. We left the four-wheeler running. And, uh, anyways... Dad's like, are you going to go check on this? I was like, well, there's killer bees. I'm not getting outside the pickup. So anyways, on closer examination, we looked over on that mesquite tree, and there's a little bitty wasp nest on that tree. (laughs) So instead of killer bees, it was a hive of of wasps. (laughs) And I was like, Chance, why didn't you just spray them with that diesel that was in that tank there? You could have killed them. Oh, I didn't think about that. So my dad, dad's kind of comical anyways. He called Chance Vispa from then on out, which was wasp in Spanish. But uh, Chance thought he was getting attacked by some killer bees. That happened to me when I was working for him one time, but not killer bees. I was loading hay, and then all of a sudden I'm in the skid steer, and ants crawl all over my body, those, those ones that hurt. Oh, the bite. fire ants? You should have seen Todd's face when I walked in the front door in my underwear. <laughs> <laughs> Probably a similar situation. Right. 
for sure. So you worked high school, college. Now, I mean, now Chance raises a bunch of sheep. and Chance raises good sheep. Uh, you know, and the, the funny thing is, is I thought I was mentoring him mm -hmm. during high school, you know, and he probably learned a few things from me. Probably learned some things he didn't need to learn from yeah. me by working sheep. Is everybody that's worked sheep can attest to how your tempers kind of flare at times and, and what we do and it, it, you know, while we're working these things. But, you know, Chance has probably mentored me a little bit and changed my judging style a little bit with, with the modern type sheep that we're using now. We still communicate all the time. And, uh, you know, Chance was on a very successful livestock judging team, judges a lot of shows. But, uh, you know, everybody, when, when they first started talking about blade length, I was like, okay, you know, blade length. What, what exactly, I haven't really heard this term, what are we talking about here? And Chance was kind of explaining all this stuff to me. And, and then, uh, you know, the light bulb kind of went off and I was like, yeah, that, that kind of makes sense. You know, when you shorten that blade up, you can make their flank look deeper. Mm -hmm. You can make them balance out really good. Okay. You know, with, with short blades might come a few more issues as far as being straight shouldered and, and maybe towing out a little bit and some structural problems. But when you can get them right through their front third of their body, it makes them balance out proportion really good from the side. And I guess I, guess I learned that from Chance a lot. Because really? I was kind of old school, you know, meat and potatoes. Let's throw them on the side. Let's get the thick ones that are big hip and have some length to them. But no, let's let's balance them up. Let's make them proportional. And uh, hey, I, I'm all about it now. There you go. You guys bounce a lot of stuff off of each other. Yeah, well, you know, we bounce ideas, and you know, he'll probably lean a little bit one way here and there, and I'll probably lean a little bit the other way. But it, you know, when the the dust all settles, a good sheep's still a good sheep. Mm -hmm. So did you you said third grade is right when you started getting sheep. What did your did your parents kind of start raising sheep right about that point? or uh, We've been do? raising commercial sheep. Well, actually, my great-granddad, on the place he grew, he grew up on this place here that we're currently at right now, mm -hmm. and uh, he used to run sheep. And uh, he got out of the sheep business when he had a lawsuit when he shot the neighbor's dogs that got in and killed his sheep way back when. He just quit right there? He quit raising sheep, and he was he was a Hereford guy. Oh, yeah. He raised Hereford cattle. So always kind of ranched and... Always was, there. my great-granddad grew up on this place, made a living farming and ranching. And uh, we've always had stock down here, but mm -hmm. that wasn't our primary business. Yeah. Uh, but uh, we've always had commercial sheep and, and cows. Mm -hmm. what, what, you, what was Kyle Smith up to when he was about 10, 12? 10, 12. Looking for the next Dr. Pepper and what, where the next chicken fried steak was. He liked to eat. But, uh, no, he was, uh, loved the showing, loved, loved the Club Lamb deal. Yeah. And uh, went with his dad everywhere. Yeah. Made many miles, searched for the next good one. So you guys were pretty, pretty, pretty competitive and active. And yeah, you know, back uh, showing back then, I guess, Jake was a little bit different. You know, it's... Uh, it's evolved through the ages, and back then there wasn't per se guys that strictly raised club lambs for mm -hmm. a living. There was a lot of good commercial sheep guys that we went and bought stock from and, and tried to do the best we could with them. You just go in there and run off all the lambs. We'd go through hundreds pick of out them. A couple maybe. We'd go through hundreds of them, and you know they were a little over market price. So mm -hmm. instead of buying two or three, we'd buy thirty. Just wean it down. Feed those and uh, figure out what we liked, and and then narrow, keep narrowing it down. So were those. What year was that that you were sh you were showing? I guess what year did you graduate high school? Uh, I graduated in '92. Uh, I guess I started showing. Let me see. Started showing in '83. Okay. So what were they show? You just showing finals and crosses, or full in on the we black showed, steel? Back no, then? we showed finals and crosses. Mm -hmm. That's kind of our bread and butter. We kind of stuck with it over the years. There you go. When did you did you guys 
ever raised your own that you showed, or just uh, always went out and bought them? Actually, uh, we bought our first we bought our first used to start raising club lambs in 1984. Uh, the first year we showed, we bought some out of feedlot in Colorado. Mm -hmm. Western slope lambs is what they call them. Just commercial use? commercial sheep. We'd go through the feedlots up there and try and find some crossbred lambs to mm -hmm. show, and. Uh, I got a little taste in my mouth and loved it, and we purchased our first use in 1984. Bought those from Pat Rose in Brackettville, Texas. There you go. And then just made it kind of a goal to raise show sheep out of those? or Yeah, I mean, our, our primary goal was to raise show lambs that we could show. Mm -hmm. Of course, there wasn't many club lamb producers back then, so we went to a good, uh, he actually had registered sheep and commercial sheep, mm -hmm. but just a good sheepman. Yeah. And we went through hundreds and, and picked out a, oh, I guess we bought, we started out with a pot load of ewes, which is about 380 ewes mm -hmm. is kind of what we started with. What was it like showing with your dad and going on all those trips? Loved it. I mean, some of the best memories we have are up and down the road. Just the hunt. We love the hunt, yeah. trying to find the next great one. Did you guys have anyone helping you back then, or it was just we'll figured out? No, it, we had, I'll say that. We, dad and I spent a lot of time. We did it primarily ourselves, but we had great county agent. Mm -hmm. uh, Rex Jones uh, taught us a lot. We had good assistant county agents, and a lot, lot of mentors, you know, yeah. throughout the years. So you get pretty competitive there towards your senior year and stuff? You know, we, we, <clears throat> we, uh, we started off slow. Uh, we, didn't, we didn't have a lot of banners growing up. Uh, you know, we would, we'd be competitive, and, and we'd place a lot of lambs, get in the sale. Mm -hmm. But uh, we didn't start really hanging a lot of banners until I got into high school. Yeah. Did you have siblings that also showed? Or? My sister, old, I have an older sister, and she showed. She wasn't as involved in activism in it as I was, but uh, she showed and, and liked it. Mm -hmm. I had a lot of good friends along the way. So when you were right around, you know, graduation time, still showing, what was your goal at that point, like for the for the future? What did you think you were going to do? I guess just like any other high school kid, Jake, you know, trying to figure out what he's going to do, and didn't know what, have a clue what he wanted to do, but he knew that he liked sheep. Yeah. He loved livestock. Loved the passion of livestock judging. Uh, com judge competitively in high school. Mm -hmm. He knew his neck. I knew my next step was going to be to judge collegiately. Yeah. And uh, so that was a th that was still that was a big thing back then. Oh yeah, too, yeah. Uh, it was it was big. You know, I started off out of high school, and uh, knew that I was going to judge, and uh, knew that I wanted to pursue that, and uh, went to South Plains Junior College and, and judged there for for Dave mm -hmm. Clevenger, mm -hmm. and uh, then from there went to to A and M and and judged uh, under Glenn Allen Phillips. He was my really. Yeah, he was my he judging team coach. San Antonio and Kansas City. Yep. Right. Glenn Allen was uh, at San Antonio for years, and now he's at Kansas City. So, uh, would you like the A&M quite a bit? Did you? What did you learn most from that guy about judging? I guess he still carry with you today. You think? Yeah, uh, you know, we several guys kind of molded and shaped me throughout the years, and uh, those guys just built on the basics. Mm -hmm. Uh, but you know, if I had to say one guy that, that taught me what I need to know today that to uh, to exceed in this club lamb deal, it would have to be my dad. Yeah. I mean, lots of heated arguments, conversations. What do you like about this one? What do you don't like about this one? Um, he was just adamant that I tell him the reasons. Mm -hmm. When I was a young kid, nine, ten years old, mm -hmm. I'd say I like this one. He'd say, Why do you like him? So I'd tell him, and he goes, Well, I don't like that. I said, Well, that's what I like. So. <laughs> The arguments began then, and and I think that's what what fueled me was uh, just just the passion and the drive, trying to make my dad proud. Yeah. And uh, we fed on each other, and uh, we both kind of liked different stock. You know, um, 
I liked a little more muscle than he did. He liked them pretty, but we compromised. You know, there's a sheep's not good unless he's pretty and has muscle. Yeah. So did he have prior experience in it all, or you guys kind of learned no, together? No, my dad. He uh, he went through the the FFA program mm -hmm. when he grew up. Uh, actually, he was a second high individual at the national judging contest when he was in high school. Really. And he judged at uh, San Angelo Junior College back then and did very well. He couldn't talk reasons, though. They talked reasons back then? They talked a few reasons. And uh, at, uh, at the national contest, it used to be, I think it was in Chicago back then, mm -hmm. he dropped two points in the con whole contest really? and he up second because he couldn't talk reasons. <laughs> couldn't talk his way out of it? Couldn't talk his way out of it. So you're in college, you're judging, and, and have you made up your mind at that, that point what you want to do, or you're, are you kind of dead set on raising sheep? Or You know, I, I was dead set that I was going to be involved with agriculture. Yeah. To the extent to what I was going to be doing agriculture, you know, I, I really didn't know. Mm -hmm. um, Dad was still raising some sheep. We were still raising sheep. Uh, we had built our club lamb herd up, mm -hmm. and I actually bought some ewes myself, and we were raising club lambs and still, you know, selling club lambs. You know, it wasn't as lucrative a business as it is today. And uh, th that was my passion. Mm -hmm. It's what I wanted to do. I just didn't think I could make a living doing it. Yeah. And uh, actually when I got out, of, I got my master's degree at Angelo State where I coached the livestock judging team there. Just kind of buying time, trying to figure out what I wanted to do. And they actually offered me a gig there to stay. And, uh, you know, I, I taught for a semester and realized real quick that, that I didn't want to be stuck in the classroom. I wanted to be outside in production agriculture. Yeah. And I uh, actually took a job out of college working for a, a, a company called Pack Marketing where they distributed, it was a wholesale meat distributor, and they, they distributed meat all over Texas. And I would, did this job for probably a month and realized real quick that I didn't want to be stuck in the office and doing that. Mm -hmm. So I went and told my dad that I would really like to take over the club land flock and do this for a living. How good were the were Smithwick sheep back then? Uh, they were competitive. competitive. You know, even when I showed back in high school, we were winning with ones we raised, but mm -hmm. uh, you know, we do, didn't have the numbers, and we weren't winning to the extent that we are now. Yeah. So I've noticed. I mean, ever since I've met you and, and kind of been out here, you you raise very high quality show lambs, but you you do it on the dime of a commercial. You know, you're you're a stockman. You know, up and down for sure. Where do you kind of lean, where, where do you get that from? Or where, where, why did you decide to do it that way where it's, you know, live or die, these are commercial sheep? We, you know, we, we run primarily fine wool use and they, they can adapt. Yeah. I mean, they grew up raising lambs and stuff out in the pasture. And uh, to me, it's just more economical to try and keep it from a commercial standpoint mm -hmm. versus keeping everything housed in the pen all the time and, and in confinement. Yeah. And when you can turn them out and they can make a living on your own, on their own, it sure helps the, the bottom line. Mm -hmm. You know, with that being said, we've moved a little bit more to confinement uh, with just just problems. You know, we we have to fight we have to fight varmints. Coyotes are working on us. Mm -hmm. You know, and and we've started with the Southdown gig now, and they don't adapt as well as the white sheep do out out on the range. And yeah. we've got to keep them up and kind of pamper them a little bit more. So you all your final use, they lay them out. On the pasture. No, we, we bring them up, Jake. Uh, we do have some that lamb in the pasture, but I'll go through uh, when we when we're supposed to start lambing. I'll bag those ewes out, and everything that's bagged and heavy bred, we'll take to the barn and try and lamb them out there. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of jump back just a little bit to the the final thing. So you you know you called your dad and said, hey, I want to take over. What does the the Texas show lamb 
Dale look like at that point? Is it still majorly just finals and crosses, or is our are the blacks you know over really popular and competitive? Or yeah, you know the blacks have always been king ever since I showed. Yeah. Blacks were always winning the shows. I mean, occasionally you'd see one pop up of crossbred lamb, or maybe in a final lamb here and there, maybe win a show. But blacks have always been the sheep. There's always been more numbers than them. Mm-hmm. And they've always primarily won the show since since I've been involved with it. Yeah. Now back when my dad showed, the Southdowns were king. They were winning really? the shows. Yeah. Really. So what? So the so the finals are big. I mean, now there's only maybe five big time final breeders in Texas. Was there a lot more back then, or was it yeah? There there was a lot more guys. See, it, you know, it's basically there wasn't as many club lamb guys that specialized in that. There was just good commercial producers. Mm-hmm. They raised good stock. Like, did they kind of lean towards? Make show and bucks maybe? Or? They were just leaning towards good sheep that yeah. had muscle, that mm-hmm. were functional and sound. And uh, you could find lots of good sheep back then. Yeah. And there was guys that had big numbers too. I mean, you're talking about running two or 3,000 head of ewes. Oh, yeah. So why did you never ever you know, lean towards maybe raising a few blacks? You just finals did so well for you? Well, you know, it's what I grew up with. It's what I'm passionate about. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I've always appreciated good stock and raising blackfish sheep. Uh, but uh, you know this. I guess my heart's just in this white deal. Yeah, definitely. And if anyone's been to a, a Texas major or, or a show down here from up north and seen those final sheep, they're a lot different. You know, in their build still. I think you know rib cage and build and spine is is still. You know, just they just don't match the blacks. Where do you think those? Like, where do you focus on making those finals better? I mean, you're, it, they're so far uh, ahead of everyone else's. It's a continuous battle. I mean. You know from the start, you're you're doing selective matings. You're taking a sire and a dam, and you're trying to make the best white one you can. You know that there's problems in both the female and the male. Mm-hmm. You're just trying to to minimize the the faults and maximize the good in them. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know it's not easy, and it's it's a lot of a numbers game. Yeah. Uh, the the consistency is not there as it is in the blackfish sheep. Yeah. You know. Uh, Finals have gotten thicker. Mm-hmm. Uh, muscle is generally not a problem in those things. The carcass traits are still there. It's just getting them to, like you said, getting their build right and their look right. You mm-hmm. know, shorten that blade up, open them up in their body cavity. And, and I guess what we've always struggled with in this white deal is trying to get their hip and hind leg right. Yeah. So do you line breed at all, or do you just breed bucks to use? We do line breed. Um, I don't do it as much as a lot of people do because mm-hmm. our primary source of income is, is with these crossbred sheep. Mm-hmm. And to me, if you get a concentrated herd of line-bred white sheep, when you throw a black-faced buck on them, I don't think you maximize heterosis that way. But if your, sheep, if your white sheep aren't as lined up and you don't have a real tight gene pull, then you can maximize heterosis, heterosis throwing a black buck on them. With that being said, you know, we still try and concentrate genetic lines, yeah. and it's it's really hard to make those elite white ones if you don't line them up a little bit. Mm-hmm. So how do you make your, I mean, obviously you, you, you want to raise really good finals, but how do you make those finals better when the crosses, it seems like they're worth more money a lot yeah, of times. Yeah, you know, uh, I generally, what I do every year is my best white ewes, they mm-hmm. get put on white bucks. Yeah. Because if you're not making your females better, your crosses aren't getting better either. Yeah. I don't care how good a black-faced buck you go and buy. If your white ones aren't good, you turn them out with, and you're not going to make good specs. What kind of breeding systems do you use? Because, I mean, how many did you say you have? 1,700? You count the South Downs, we have uh, we shared seven, a few over 1,700. There's no way you can cedar and AI, all those things. So how do you guys? No, it's pretty much natural breeding. 
uh, and we do it in stages. The white ones start lambing first. The finals, we start the 15th of February. Uh, the crosses start about the 15th of March. And the downs, we don't start lambing until April, which people think I'm crazy for doing it. But, you know, when you've got that many ewes, if you don't stage them, they're just all coming at the same time. Big mess. Yeah. So what? how many bucks do you have to own to breed that many ewes naturally? Oh, Jake, I think we shared about 75 head of rams. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. So do you turn a few bucks out with a group of ewes, or do you one buck the, to? The white bucks, they take care of themselves. We, we pasture breed those pretty much. Unless they're buck lambs, we'll put them in a pen. The black bucks, uh, they're not as hardy as they used to be. They pretty well get pen bred. Yeah. And the south downs get pen bred. Yeah. And it, to me, uh, lambing season is kind of a breeze compared to breeding season. We have so many sheep in the pen. You're trying to get them all fed, taken care of. Uh, it's just a mess when you're trying to get them all, all bred and they're all in confinement. It, it makes it tough. For sure. So where do you where do the South Downs kind of come into the mix? Because you always you've always had the white sheep. Yeah, we we've, we've been raising white sheep forever. Um, South Down sheep. Let's see. Uh, my kids started showing, and we wanted to show a few South Downs. So we we started showing a few from a gentleman by the name of Ed Brady mm -hmm. from up around Abilene, Texas. And Ed and I became friends. We bought some show lambs from him, and I was kind of helping him along, and he helped. Uh, well. I helped him sort his ewes one day, and uh, I was helping him cull his herd. He wanted to, to whittle them down a little bit and have a few less to worry about. So I went and culled his ewes, and anyways, with that being said, he calls me about a week later. He says, hey, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sell these ewes. I said, well, I hope so. We spent a day sorting them off and culling them for you. He goes, no, all of them. I said, really? You want to sell all of them? I said, well, let me – let me talk to my kids and uh, let me get back with you. I said, I might be interested. So I talked to Reagan, it was my daughter, and uh, told her what was going on. I said, it's be a good opportunity for y'all kids if y'all kind of want to get started in this. Mm -hmm. So we just bought them. Yeah. And that was about five. Well, this is actually our sixth lamb crop to raise these south downs. How many did you buy originally? Uh, Jake, I think he had right around 100 head. Yeah. And, and including the ewe lambs. I think he had like 80 mature ewes and maybe 30 ewe lambs, something like that. Mm -hmm. So I've noticed, I mean, everyone who raises blacks, there's buck pictures and they have a ram web page and, and it, there's just all over the place. But I've never, I don't think I've ever seen a picture of a final buck set up. And, and the South Downs, there's really not a lot of people that raise them. How do you bring in new pieces with the raising breeds like that where it's not really commercialized in terms of you know, sharing bucks and semen and all you, that? You know, it's... Uh, I guess both of those breeds, the fine wolves and the south downs, the guys that have the good ones are really pretty stingy with them. Mm -hmm. And we wouldn't be where we are today in this fine wool deal if, if some good folks wouldn't have helped us out along the way. Yeah. There's been numerous breeders that have uh, helped us along the way, and they let us they shared these good bucks, or we did some swapping back and forth. Mm -hmm. But as far as going out and trying to buy an elite one to make your herd better, it's just they're just few and far between. Yeah. So do you keep a lot of bucks, or do you? We, we do we we don't we don't keep a lot being that we have kids showing especially south downs because my kids want to show them mm -hmm. but we'll keep we'll keep three or four a year yeah white bucks will keep seven or eight yeah so how do you keep those bucks healthy when they're out there i mean I've, i walked to that buck pen and there's you know all of them are running together out there on the field I mean, yeah and i you know being that we have 75 rams it's uh it's almost impossible to to keep them individually pinned yeah 
So we run them together. They fight out there? Yeah, I get, kind of get to fighting with, uh, you know, initially when we mix them, I'll leave them in a pen pretty tight for, for about 24 hours and then, and then turn them out. Yeah. So what kind of bucks work best on those white ewes? Because I think the bucks that, that I like, that I would like to breed you on my black ewes, I mean, they're, they're probably not thick enough. Yeah, you know, them. as far as picking out the elite black buck to work on these white ewes, I guess, you know, it, de it depends on what your white ewes look like. But the ones that work better, best for us, uh, I'm a hip guy, yeah. so we start there. They got to be big pin. They got to be level. Mm -hmm. They got to be square from behind. Uh, and of course, all these white ones need to be a little bit more. Oh, they need to be more busted open. They need to be better bodied. Need to shorten that blade up a little bit in them. The moderate thick ones that are square with still some look in them, those are the ones that work best for us. Mm -hmm. So how many lambs do you, how many weathers do you think you raise a year? Like sellable show weathers? Uh, we raise a lot of weathers. Now sellable weathers, that's a different story. We don't, we don't try and push them real hard. I, I, you know, we could sell a lot more probably, but if they're not the quality, I don't think they need to be pushed on somebody. Mm -hmm. But, uh, We've been blessed in this deal. We've been selling anywhere from four to five hundred weathers a year. Wow, live sales every every time. You know, we we sell private treaty. We th sell uh, through auctions, and now with this venue coming up, we're going to sell some online. So, do you keep track of a lot of those families? I mean, five hundred lambs would be impossible to. You know, I, <clears throat> you can't keep up with all of them. Uh, we're blessed with a lot of good feeders, mm -hmm. and uh, they do communicate with me and let me know how they do, but. Uh, you know, it's, uh, like I said, we've been blessed. We have a lot of good customers out there. Mm -hmm. How many banners do you guys hang? Well, we, sale ad. It was crazy that, that sale ad we put out last year, well, I think there was 104 banners in the last, uh, I don't remember what the banner, but it's. last The last year? No, we had 104 major stock show banners in the last, I think, I think that was since 2000 or right in there. That's quite a few and there's only five majors. Yeah. Quite a few. We had a, uh, we had thirteen last year. If you count the Keep It Weird jackpot. Mm -hmm. Dang. So I guess we're up to one hundred and seven, uh, seventeen now. That's pretty good. So when, so I guess we can jump back one more time. So, so you called your, you told your dad, hey, I want, I want to raise these sheep. So you move home. And then what do you do from there? Do you just kind of start working on the ranch, or? You know, I just dove straight into it. Yeah. It's always been my passion. And then I guess what fueled the fire is uh, when I told my dad I was going to do this and quit my job at Pack Marketing, mm -hmm. he, uh, he asked me if I liked red beans and cornbread. I was like, well, yeah, I like red beans and cornbread. What are you getting at? He goes, well, you're not going to eat any steak raising sheep for a living. He goes, you better get used to eating red beans because you're going to be broke. So I just was on a mission. Yeah, wanted uh, to make it work. It's, uh, you know, it's, it's a life that we've loved. Now, it's had its ups and downs. It's challenging for anybody that raises stock. They, uh, they know the blood, sweat, and tears you put into all this, and the ups and the downs, the peaks and the valleys. So how long did you raise sheep with your dad? Uh, since, well, let's see here. Started in 1983. Well, I started showing in 1983. Bought our first use in 1984. So from 84 to 2000, 16 years with my dad. Really? And then the last, last 20 years has, has been Julie and I my family. So when did you meet Julie? How'd you meet her? Julie and I met in college. Uh, she was actually on the basketball team at Angelo State. Really? And I was, uh, on the, I was a livestock judge and team coach there working on my master's degree. So she had a few ag classes and uh, that's how we met. There you go. History.
There you go. So, about Angelo, do you have any, how you, how long you coached there for your whole master's degree and then one year? Yeah, I coached, I coached here for two years. Two years? Yeah. You ever, you have any cool guys roll through there on your team? Oh, yeah, great guys. I mean, a lot of, lot of livestock-minded guys. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, Angelo was a tough place to coach. We had great kids. Mm-hmm. We just didn't have very many of them. Yeah. I mean, we had to scrap and scrape to have enough kids to be on the team. Mm-hmm. And they were competitive. They don't have a team anymore, I don't think. No, they're not on a livestock team. I think they have. A, they still have their wool judging team and their meats. They have a meats judging team. Their wool teams, I think, pretty competitive. Yeah, they're competitive every year. Oh yeah. So your kids, sh- they all show. I mean, you have Reagan, Dawson, and, and Curry. Curry. Yeah. How old are they? Uh, Reagan's sixteen. Uh, Dawson is. Well, it's all starting to run together. Dawson is eleven. And, well, I'm sorry, Dawson is 12 and Curry is 10. Which one's your favorite? Just kidding. <laughs> if, you, if you ask Curry, he'll tell you, I don't know, but it's not him. <laughs> it's pretty safe. To- <laughs> Curry's a wild child. Oh, yeah. I've heard uh, that he can be he's pretty comparable to your dad. Are they similar? Yeah, they're both kind of outlaws. <laughs> yeah, I know, it was funny because the reason I said that is because we were on the way back from the young gun sale, mm-hmm. and a friend of mine was with us. And we were talking about favorite children, and, and the, my buddy said, uh, "Curry, uh, are you your dad's favorite child?" He goes, "No, sir." He goes, "I don't know which one is my dad's favorite child, but I promise you that it's not me." <laughs> he's Curry's the kid. If, I mean, any sheep sale, any any major, he's there with all the other twelve-year-olds, and they're stirring it up. Oh and yeah, they're running around. That's right. He's wild. <laughs> sure he's, he loves life. Oh yeah, he's pretty into the show. You know, uh, yeah, he is. He, he loves friends. He loves people. He likes going and doing. And uh, I, I tell him all the time, he, he says, oh, I'm not as good showers, Reagan, this, that, and the other. I said, Curry, but you are so much better than I was when I was your age. Mm-hmm. I mean, these kids these days can flat show. You guys are messing around with the goats a little bit, I think. Yeah. You showed a couple. Yeah, uh, Reagan was into it for a little bit. Curry never got really into the goat thing. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, we, we showed him every other year. Mm-hmm. We'd show them a year and say, ah, we're not doing that again. Then we'd lay off a year and say, oh, yeah, let's get some goats. And, uh, you know, I like good stock. Mm-hmm. It uh, seems like it's a little more difficult to find those goats that we want to feed to put on feed, but we, we like good stock. Yeah, they're fun. So you judge quite a few national shows sometimes and, and some state fairs. When did that all start, kind of right around graduation? Or? Uh, I'm trying to think. Uh, I've, I've been judging forever, it seems like, but uh, I had actually had my first uh, judging experience at a county stock show when I was still in, in college, mm-hmm. at Southlands College. Of course, with eligibility issues, you couldn't take money. Mm-hmm. And actually, the first show I judged, that's the biggest paycheck I've ever got since I started judging. Really? And I looked at that check, I was like, oh my goodness. that's For a county that, show? That's a big check. Mm-hmm. And then I told my judging team coach about it. He said, too bad, so sad. He goes, you're going to have to give that to the college because you can't take it. You'll ruin your eligibility. I said, there you go. That's about par. <laughs> Let's get cash next time. Yeah. <laughs> so um, what, was the f- what was the first big show you, you did? The first big show. I guess that would have been uh, San Antonio. Yeah. Uh, I can't remember exactly what year that was, Jake. Remember what, when you used yeah, I remember exactly which lamb I used. Uh, uh, Buzz Cooper's boy had that lamb. It was a, a sheep from Barton's, mm-hmm. uh, from Cristobal. They raised that sheep. Oh, yeah. And uh, 
and he was he was ahead of his time. He was a good one. What was so? I mean, Schilling's have changed quite a bit. What was your kind back then? Like, what was you know what was good to you, and what what did Schilling's need to look like? You know, back in those. You know, it, it, everybody says it's changed this, that, and the other. A good one's a good one throughout the ages. Yeah. They got to have look. They got to have muscle, and they got to be able to walk. Mm-hmm. I mean, just just a good sheep. Yeah, I know you, you do a lot of those TBSS and jackpots with your kids. So when when Reagan started showing, did and, and you know from outside of the ring watching in, did did that experience change anything for you as a judge? Or? It, yes, I'm glad you brought that up. Yes, uh, you know when you have kids showing and you hold several different judges and you're trying to pick out the type and kind, uh, you just pay every little attention to every little detail. Uh, you know, I got I got to looking at the ones that beat us. Mm-hmm. Okay, what can I do to change our flock to make ours look like the ones that beat us? You know, it, I guess it just opened my eyes. Yeah. You know, I, I never thought I was really barn blind, but but maybe I was in a sense looking at all those good animals out there. Mm-hmm. Maybe I need to tweak this, tweak that, the little things. That and it also made me more patient, because mm-hmm. Lord knows the the struggles we have at home sometimes in the barn. We've all been there. You know, being more patient with that little kid out there. Mm-hmm. Uh, all the effort and all the hours that go into that for one opportunity to show to a judge. One look. You want to get it right as a judge mm-hmm. because you realize how much homework went on behind the scenes. Oh, yeah. So you did, I mean, before your kids were showing, I, you know, you did some te- a bunch of Texas majors too, right? Yeah. Uh, let's see. I, I've judged San Antonio. Uh, did the sheep there twice. Uh, I guess I judged the goats there twice as well. Really? Uh, Houston sorted the sheep and the goats. That's a funny story because I was still a greenhorn, and they asked me to judge the goats in Houston. And goats were, you know, they were just kind of getting rolling back then. They have changed a lot. They have changed a lot. Yeah. They asked me to judge that show twice, and I turned them down twice before I agreed to do it. I didn't think I was qualified. Because I hadn't, I hadn't been out beating the bushes judging a lot of goat shows, and there wasn't a lot of them back then. That's pretty noble of you to do that. I think a lot of guys don't. I just, you know, don't. I said, surely they can find somebody more qualified than me to sort the goats. Mm-hmm. And then I went to a couple of goat shows and watched these guys. I said, hey, next time they ask me, I said, I think I'm going to take that gig. <laughs> I can do a better job than this. <laughs> <laughs> so at that point, were you trying to you know, find goats that look like sheep? or Always, yeah. yeah. I mean... You know, I, I think it should be the same across the board in all species. Let's just try and make them as good as we can. Let's don't compromise. Yeah. You know, they. yeah, I'm a club lamb guy. I want some look in those goats or sheep, but I want the cake and eat it too. Mm-hmm. Let's have them good looking and, and thick. Have it all, yeah. yeah. Goats, I mean, it's, it seems like there's not really a rule book as what they're supposed to look like or – you know, or where they're supposed to lean, and it's kind of just up to the judges. But I wish they looked level. You know, I wish they patterned like sheep and all that. I'm the same way. I, I'm a hip guy. I always have been. I want to start there. You know, and I know, I realize that they're not going to be just dead level. But uh, one that's top line's not right. I just can't hardly go there. Yeah. I mean, let's start at the blade and work back. And if their top line's jacked up, I'm going to have a hard time using one. Yeah. So is your your experience raising? Finals and South Downs has what? What has that changed about how you sort, or what things you look for? Maybe even pet peeves that you just kind of are out on. Yeah, I guess I, nothing's really changed my sort. I might 
have a few more pet peeves. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's the reason I'm a hip guy because fine will struggle there. Yeah, uh, probably. You know, uh, the the South I've always been a touch and handle guy too. I want them crisp. I want them shapely. And uh, and I guess our South Downs, if they're known for anything, that they touch good. Yeah. And I wasn't going to compromise there when we started raising them. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess that's helped my selection criteria there because I, I just couldn't use one of those soft-muscled ones. Mm-hmm. For sure. You did Denver this last year. Yeah, did Denver. Uh, that was, that was, it was a good experience, awesome show. Yeah, that's one of my favorites always. But – so you're, I mean, your kids were showing this spring in the middle of all this this COVID stuff. What was that like for you guys? You know, uh, I guess it came to fruition and while we were at Houston, mm-hmm. and uh, they announced it right about lunch. Yeah. And uh, my youngest child, Curry, had already showed, and then uh, Dawson, my middle child, and Reagan had yet to show their Southdowns yet, and uh, we had slated this Southdown lamb that my daughter showed to show to Mr. Hogue when uh, he was about a week old. Oh, yeah. And I was just thinking to myself, if I don't get to show the South down, I'm going to be devastated mm-hmm. because we were pumped about this one. And, uh, you know, that's the first thing going through my head. And I was like, you know, golly. And it kind of puts everything in perspective. Mm-hmm. And we were so blessed in the sheep barn and the goat barn to be able to show our projects. I mean, my heart breaks for the people that had similar experiences with what we were going through with the South Down with their, with their steers and their hogs. I mean, I, uh, you work all year and then don't get to present your animal. That's tough. Yeah, definitely. And you guys make it to keep it weird? We did make it to keep it weird. Uh, Chance and Logan, they, and they kind of spearheaded that. And they, they called me and, and uh, told me what was going down. Mm-hmm. And they wanted some ideas, this, that, and the other. And... And uh, of course, with any show, the big issue there is is money. Mm-hmm. And I said, whatever y'all guys need, I w- we work together and got a little money together for them. And uh, I tell you what, to me, that's that's the reason this industry is so great. Just the people behind the scenes that care so much to put all that stuff together to take care of our kiddos. I mean, it was just really heartfelt and sincere, and it it was an awesome experience. Yeah. So what else do you guys do here besides raise sheep? Uh, we farm. Farm. Yeah, we uh, we farm uh, primarily wheat, small grains. Mm-hmm. Uh, we farm a few oats too for grazing, but uh, we'll we'll harvest a crop. You know, we we usually try and uh, harvest some wheat, and we do raise a little hay grazer. Planted cotton here and there. Mm-hmm. How many acres do you have here? Uh, we've got two places, and uh, you know, there's there's a little shy of four thousand acres on on the both places combined. You put a lot of sheep on 4,000 acres. Of, of when you've got, not just rangeland, but when you've got the farmland, yeah. Mm-hmm. The farmland is what makes us go. Yeah. You know, we're overstocked by the acres that we have, but when you throw in the mix of the farmland, yeah, you can run a lot of stock on farmland because you're not overgrazing it. You're going to plow it up and plant a new crop next year. Yeah. So what was Angela like when you guys first started raising sheep? I mean, there's a lot of commercial sheep down here. A lot of commercial sheep, yeah. There was, you know, you'd go to the wool warehouse, it'd be busy happening. You know, there'd be lots of wool in and out, lots of sheep shares. Yeah. It's hard to find them anymore. When did that kind of start to disappear? Uh, you know, uh, when they did away with the wool incentive, uh, that really hurt. What was that? Uh, they would tariff the, the wool and mohair coming in, and they'd, they'd subsidize, the you know, the U.S. wool to mm-hmm. give it to the producers. And that helped us out a lot. 
Uh, that was pretty much the demise of the Angora goats. What year did that happen? Uh, I'm not sure, Jake. I've heard a lot. Of, I mean, there's a few guys that started with Angoras and the boar goats from, from what I've heard. But those, those were pretty huge back then, too. Yeah, and I bet you didn't know this, Jake. I used to raise a few show goats. Really? Yeah. When? I guess in 99 or 2000. Uh, were they boars? They were actually boar Angora crosses, now that you brought that up. We, uh, there was a family in El Dorado that had really nice hair goats, mm -hmm. Angora goats. And they would take South African boar goats and they'd, they'd cross them uh, with these Angoras. Mm -hmm. And that F1 was a beautiful animal. So I had the bright idea, I was gonna buy some of these F1s and, and take a boar, Billy, and uh, put on those things. But the Angora added a little more touch to those things, mm -hmm. a little more shape, a little more athleticism. So they, were, they had muscle and they weren't just... You know, the good ones did. Yeah. Uh, you know, just a run-to-mill Angora goats, not a, not a great specimen. Mm -hmm. But when you put the boar on them, that F1, it's hybrid vigor. It's kind of like a fine old cross lamb. They're just bigger there. Grow bigger, yeah. But uh, we did that, and uh, I bought about 100 of those things. And I was looking for a billy. And Norman Coles had his production sale every year around Labor Day. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, Norman, he was very progressive from the get-go about bringing the boar here and doing a lot of embryo and AI work. And uh, he was kind of a pioneer in that thing. So I went to his production sale. And I found some really nice billies that I was like, yeah, those will work, until they started bidding on them. And I was like, whew, these things bring a, lot, bring a lot of money. So my little pea brain, I started looking at those things and then looking at the genetics on them. I was like, well, heck, it's all the same genetics. I mean, they're all flush mates. Mm -hmm. So I found the, I bought the cheapest one of the flush mate brother that I liked. And we tried to go at it that way. Mm -hmm. It worked? It worked. We had some nice kids that year. I mean, we placed some here and there. Why'd you quit raising them? Back then, Jake, you could sell a, your bottom-end lamb for $250, $300. And the goats, the good ones, I was selling for $150 to $175. And I was like, why am I raising goats when I can sell bottom-end cheap for $250 and I'm getting $175 to $150 for my best goats? I think I should have sold my sheep and kept the goats. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you, you hit that curve wrong. Yeah, the goats are worth quite a bit more than the sheep, oh, yeah. it seems like. That'd be cool if you raised a thousand goats out there. Imagine. I don't think I can handle a thousand goats. <laughs> Not patient enough? No. My fences aren't good enough. Shoot, if water can get through them, I think a goat can. <laughs> but we pictured a bunch of online sales sheep today. How many did we do? Like 50? 52. After the two escapees, we're supposed to do 54, and two of them ended out in the wheat field. Oh, do we need to go back and do those? <laughs> no. We'll catch them on the next round. There you go. So you usually do them all live. I'm in here. Those yeah. live sales go crazy. So yeah, this is our first online attempt. Well, I tried one online uh, sale. I just did 10 crossbred ewe lambs. But How'd that go? It was okay yeah. for crossbred ewe lambs. But this is our first venture out into the weather deal to try it out. So. Do you think if it, if it goes good, you'll keep doing it? Or when everything clears up next year, you know, back to live? You know, I, I don't know. We, we'll just probably mix and match, trying to appease our customers, mm -hmm. you know. I know you're big into you know relationships with with all of them, and are you worried about any of that with the online sale, or because it seems like people still show up? Yeah, I, I think the online sale. I think people that are serious about it will still come and look, mm -hmm. and we're going to open that up the week of the sale where they can come view those lambs. What day was is the first sale? Did you say? The uh, online sale. Our online sale is June the thirteenth. Thir oh, thirteenth. Okay. Yeah. And then you're going to do one more live sale. Yeah. Well, after what kind of the routine is. You generally, we kick this thing off. We've had this, a sale the second Saturday in June, 
used to be the Angelo Club lamp sale, but we've had it since, uh, golly, since I was in elementary school. Really? And we've just kind of stuck with that weekend. Mm -hmm. But uh, and then private trade sales start about the 24th of June. Uh, we, it'll be a separate, another group of lambs, fresh mm -hmm. wing group, share them and offer them for sale, do that kind of private trade. But then the late, the late lambs, which will be anything born, you know, kind of after the 10th of April all the way up to the 1st of June, we'll offer those in an auction on July 25th here at the farm. There you go. So if you're looking for, you know, fine wools or crosses or south towns, you've got about five, 600 to sell here in the next couple months. Yeah, I mean, we've we've got over 1,500 lambs on the ground, and, you know, whatever fits the type of sale you like. If you like online sale, we're going to have one of those. Used to not have those. Online, private trade or auction. So a little bit of everything. So if you're looking for those breed sheep, I mean, get on Kyle's website, figure out those, those sale dates, and give him a call, come up and look. And that's, I mean, that's kind of what your next few months look like is just strictly sheep sales. Sheep sales, that's about it. Well, we hope so anyways. Yeah, definitely. Well, thanks for sitting down with me, Kyle. Yep, enjoyed it, Jake. Well, guys, I, I hope you liked it. Kyle's was a, lo a lot of fun to sit down and do. Uh, it actually took a couple different tries uh, to get it all done and just kind of get all the information we want to talk about recorded. I was over there for two separate days. We were picturing you know, all of his finals and crosses for his online sale. It's something he's doing for the first time this year. and, and it's, it's always a lot of fun to go over there. I feel like I always learn something. Uh, Kyle's a stockman. I mean, you can if you spend much time around him or, or go to his place at all, it's it's different from any show lamb operation I've ever been to. Not only numbers wise, but but just management style. It's so um, just commercial oriented, for lack of a better word. Man, that guy creates high quality, very competitive show sheep on the dime of you know a commercial sheep farmer, and and he does it at a huge scale, and he does an incredible job at it, and. And it definitely speaks volumes about what they've what they've got going on over there at Smithwick Club Lambs. Uh, like you talked about in the podcast, he's got a sale coming up uh, online, uh, so be be sure to you know check on on the Smithwick Club Lambs Facebook page and keep up with that if you're in Texas and and looking for one of those finals or final crosses. Uh, be sure to take a look at Kyle's because they're some of the best. I'll see you guys later. <laughs>